Take your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 this morning. It's our privilege to turn again into God's Word and to study His Word week after week. We're turning this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Specifically, we'll be focusing on verses 1 through 5, and our theme this morning is Christ-centered ministry. Christ-centered ministry. We're going to be hearing a lot in the next few days regarding false teaching within the church, the things that we need to be aware of, be on guard against. And so it's my goal this morning as last night things changed, I began to seek the Lord and saying, Lord, what would you have me to bring uh, the people of God in the morning? And the Lord has led me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Let's read God's word together as we find our attention there. Paul writes and he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. In my speech and my preaching, were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why, Paul? Verse 5, so that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is the Word of God for you, His people. Dr. Warren Wiersbe tells a story, an illustration in his commentary. He tells of a church that had a beautiful stained glass window just behind the pulpit, as many, many churches do. In that window, it depicted Jesus Christ on the cross. But one Sunday, things were different. There was a guest preacher who was much smaller than the regular pastor. A little girl listened to that guest for the first time, not unlike some little children here today. And then she turned to her mother and she asked this question. Where is the man who usually stands there so that we can't see Jesus? Ouch. As I read that, and when I often read things like that, initially, I think cheesy, whatever. But as I came across that illustration, I thought how true that is. Funny story, but unfortunately, hits the nail on the head. As we often pray here, and as my desire here this morning is not to stand in such a way as to get in the way of Jesus. As we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul is in the middle of a pastoral counseling session with the church at Corinth. Corinth was a church much like the American church today. The town of Corinth was a successful town, a bustling town of worldwide commerce. It was a coastal town from what we understand. But yet the culture in Corinth was degraded. Idolatry was rampant. And sexual promiscuity was the norm. As we look around America today, we see the very same type of culture in our world today, in our land today. But yet the problems that the church at Corinth faced primarily were were not out in the culture, but they were inside the church. And this is why Paul is writing to them about the basics of of what it's all about. That's what will be our focus this morning in chapter 2. 
Paul is in the middle of an argument. If you remember it, if you follow along, we often refer to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 as a cross-reference as we're studying the Gospels because it is such a primary text for explaining why God works the way he works. Why God chooses the people he chooses as we're studying how Jesus is choosing and ordaining his disciples to go forth as apostles for the work of the ministry. And that leads us to chapter 2 this morning where we consider what is Christ-centered ministry. What we find here is that preaching is the pivotal cornerstone of Christ-centered preaching. Preaching and teaching. The preaching and teaching of the Word of God. And that's why Paul front loads his argument in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, of describing what type of preaching he exercised among the church. You know, when we think about preaching, it's an amazing thing. In the wisdom of God, who, outside of God, would ever ordain preaching and the men who preach to be the means by which builds God's kingdom. Preaching is God's idea. But when we think about preaching, we often think of preaching in glowing terms, negative terms in the day that we live in, but in glowing terms of people in the past. We think of Spurgeon. We think of Whitfield. We think of David Brainerd. We think of Edwards. We think of Calvin. And we think of preaching in romantic, rose-colored lenses as if to say, that the greatest, glorious days of preaching are, are all in the past. And we also forget that those men in their days when God ordained them to be alive as they preached the Word of God were not esteemed and honored to the level they are today, centuries after they have passed away. Friends, as we consider Christ-centered ministry this morning in preaching, we need to think in terms of what the Spirit produces in our lives as opposed to simply production or presentation. So many times when we think about preaching, we think in terms of a, a performance, being entertained. In our American culture and context, we think of preaching as coming to the house of God, much like we do a movie theater. We arrive at a, we know what time it starts. We arrive just right on time. We come in, we expect to be entertained, and then we leave with a grade for the sermon. And while certainly a preacher must always be held accountable on the quality of his preaching, pray for him and encourage him, no doubt about it. The ultimate thing that is missed is what is the Spirit producing in my life through the preached Word of God? What did God have for me in that message this morning? And friends, as we consider God's means of preaching and Christ-centered ministry, we, we, we want to remember that we need to reflect upon sermons and how they feed us how they mature us. And this happens over the long course of time. It doesn't happen in, in one meal, you could say. And much like a physical diet, we don't change our lives physically or in a health way by simply one meal. But yet we can look three months back down the road and see how we made some changes and our diet physically was affected because of those changes slowly and incrementally over the course of time. Spiritually, we see the same thing. When week after week we are under the Word of God, God grows His people through His Word, and we submit to His Word, have dependence upon His Word. And by the way, this is the type of preaching that the preacher himself must model. Dependence upon the Holy Spirit. John chapter 15, verse 5 reminds us that without Christ, we can do nothing. 
absolutely nothing. And that's why Paul says here in our passage, I sought to know nothing among you but Christ and Him crucified. In one sense, if Paul were here today and we were having a discussion, he would remind us that faithful ministry, ministry like the children's classes that took place today, the Sunday school classes that have already taken place this morning, the preaching of the Word of God that we'll hear today and in the coming days, faithful teaching and preaching, Christ-centered ministry is much like farming. Much like farming. And I'm curious this morning, how many of you have farming in your past, in your family? We live in an agrarian county. We live in a place where you pass by some of those beautiful plots of land and farms, no doubt about it. That is much of what New Testament teaching and preaching is like. Week after week, if you are a teacher of God's Word, you're sowing the seed of the Word of God. Don't get discouraged. Stay at the plow. Submit yourself to the authority of God's word, the sufficiency of God's word. And remember that you're not in charge of the measurable growth, but you are focused on seeing Christ's likeness in those whom you teach, even if it's in the, the nursery and all the way through to the mature saints in the auditorium. This morning, as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, very quickly, Paul is making a case. And as he writes and writes and instructs the church at Corinth. He's writing to a church who is divided. He's writing to a church who is struggling. He's writing to a church who has worldly thinking, or you could say worldly thinking has begun to permeate the life of the church. They have worldly values. It's much like the church today. There are so many voices. There is so much noise. There is so much marketing that says, if you want to do church, do it like this. Disney does it like this. This is how they cater to their customers. Church, you need to learn how to follow the pattern of Disney. I'm just giving an example. But what we find here in the church, in, in 1 Corinthians and in the scriptures, is not to look to the world for our marching orders, but to look to the means that we have in Christ. Now, this church who was divided, they're following different voices, personalities. Some are of Apollos, as we'll see in a moment. Some are, are of Cephas. Some are of Paul. They're divided. They're in a camp. They're following platforms, if you will. And Paul draws them back to the basics of saying Christ is all in all. All in all is Jesus. And Jesus is everything. Church today... If we're to look to the world for our marching orders, we will depart from that which is, has been entrusted to us. That is not wise. We will give an account to the Lord for what he has charged us to do. We are not interested with being creative in our thinking, creative in our speaking. We simply want to present Christ to a lost and dying world. One point I want to make here before we look at our succinct points is this. The problem that the church at Corinth faced was personality-driven issues. Personality-driven issues. Instead of looking into the Scriptures as their foundation, as their complete sustenance of what God had for them. I've already pointed out, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, some of you say, I am of Cephas, I am of Paul, I am of Christ. As if these men are the, the means of salvation to them. 
Another way you could see it is, is that they were not loving the church. Their fellowships are strained and broken because they're not in one another's camps. Now, these are not doctrinal camps. These are personality camps. And Paul reminds the church here with a, with a call to Christ. He's saying, we all exist to exalt Jesus Christ Lord. 2 Corinthians 4, 5, we do not preach ourselves, but our message is singular, and it is the finished work of Christ. Church, last week we saw the pattern of Andrew and how Andrew simply was known for taking others to Christ. If you wanted to know Christ, find Andrew, and Andrew can introduce you to Christ. Again, we come back to that point here in this note. As Paul says, our message is Christ. And our question has to be this. Does the world or those who know us, do they know our message? Is it clear? Is it evident? Or do they see us as drawing people to ourselves, our personalities? I'm afraid, I think we all know the answer to why we are not preaching Christ, teaching Christ, living the message of the gospel as we should. It's because we're ashamed. And the question is, is why are we ashamed? And I don't know the full answer to that. But Paul knew it was the problem. And that's why he says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. In a sense, Paul would say, there's times I'm tempted to be ashamed. I'm tempted to come into Rome, to Athens, and to preach a message that massages the consciences and eases the ears of those who hear it. I'm tempted to do that, but I do not do that because I love the lost. I love those who are perishing. As we're going to see this week, false teachers do not love the sheep that they are preaching to or teaching to. Why? Because they're wolves. Wolves have no love for the church. Wolves have no care and concern for their bride of Christ as Peter it received the instruction as those are instructed in Acts chapter 20 to shepherd the flock of God. Wolves don't see the church as the bride of Christ. Wolves see sheep as means for enhancing their own kingdoms and growing their own pocket books. Now, why does Paul give this emphasis? Well, this is what we see in verses 20 and 21 of chapter 1. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. This is the infinite wisdom of God to give to men what they are not seeking. They are chosen by God to receive his message and to preach to people who don't want the message and to follow the pattern of Christ. This morning, as we look into the word of God, I want you to remember your own conversion, just like what Paul tells the church to do. As he's correcting personality divided strife within the church he caused them to remembrance to remember their own conversion to remember when he came to them acts chapter 18 if you're taking notes is the backstory of how the church at corinth was established by the evangelistic ministry of paul he calls them to remember how he came to them and how he brought christ to them he did not bring arguments that were well crafted paul says i certainly did have an amazing influencer, TikTok type of personality that had thousands of people tuning in. I just didn't have that ability. I didn't even seek to have that ability. But he says, you are secure in Christ. You're one to Christ by Christ. And so he reminds them of God's pattern for the local church, God's pattern for preaching and teaching, 
God's pattern for you as you serve him in the home where you're at or wherever God has asked you to serve him, this is God's pattern. So in answering this question, number one, I want us to see in verse one the type of person that God uses. The type of person that God uses. And again, this is a theme of Paul's ministry. This is one of the rare instances where we can see the overuse of I, me, and my, and it's good. Notice what he says. Let's read the passage again. He says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not with excellence of speech or wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but were in the demonstration of the Spirit of power. Paul emphasizes that God called him to bring the message of Christ to them. And as we consider this messenger, we, we see, first of all, just some basic observations, is that this man is a saved man. Paul is a saved man. And you say, well, how basic can you get, Legrand? We, we know that we have to be saved, or maybe better to use born again, but that's just a problem. In our pulpits today, there are so many preachers and teachers of God's word who, who aren't born again. They're peddling the word of God. And as Paul says, I came to you, Paul is coming to minister to them as one who is born again. He was born again by the Spirit of God as he was persecuting the church. He is yielded to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit leads him and, and uses him. He is following the Holy Spirit to bring the gospel to those who he would have Paul bring the gospel to. Paul is not operating in his own flesh, and his own whims. If you look at the beginning of the epistle to Rome, uh, the book of Romans, he makes clear to them that he desired to come to them again and again and again, but he was restrained by the Holy Spirit of God. Jude chapter 19 describes a ministry that we'll be looking at this week of those who are not born again, not saved, and not yielded to the Holy Spirit of God. And the description is given in Jude verse 19. These are those who are sensual persons. They cause divisions, but notice here, not having the Spirit, or some rendered devoid of the Holy Spirit. So we see this messenger is a born again, a saved Messenger To be saved, what does that mean? It means we are born again by the Spirit of God. Remember uh, John chapter 3? Nicodemus, a religious man, a faithful man, just lost. He comes to Jesus and Jesus tells him, but you must be born again. Your church attendance does not save you, Nicodemus. Your giving does not save you. Your, your moral righteousness, your performance does not save you. You must be born again. And that is what is required for effective New Testament, Christ-centered ministry. Secondly, we see a man who is submitted. And I've already touched on this fact of being yielded to the Holy Spirit of God. Preaching that Paul describes here is, is something that is spirit-birthed, spirit-born, spirit-led. E e even last night, it was saying, God, what do I bring to God's people? You must seek the Lord. You must seek His face. It's not just simply plug and play. It's saying, Lord, what do you have for your people? This is your doing. This is your work. You have divinely orchestrated a change in our plans. We, we submit to that. The, the Proverbs and Scriptures are replete with man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. The Lord has the right to do all those things, and we understand that. We submit to the will and spirit 
of God. In most of these letters that Paul writes, he's writing them because he's not with them. He desires to be with them. But in God's infinite wisdom, he uses these letters to be the instructions, not only for these churches that he wrote to, but for us even today as well. The type of person, man or woman, that God uses in the work of the ministries, someone who is submitted to the Spirit of God. Colossians 2.18 says this, Paul again writing says, Let no one deceive you. Let no one cheat you out of your reward, taking delight in false humility and the worship of angels and visions, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and, holding, and not holding fast to the head which is Christ. Not treasuring, following, and valuing Christ. A third brief point as we consider the messenger here is that this, this individual, as we think about specifically for preaching, this is for men alone in the public proclamation of God's word. This man is a selected man. He's called and selected for the work that God has ordained for him. Paul says, I came to you in weakness and in trembling. So what was his assurance? Why was Paul a glutton for punishment, if you will, for, for beatings and, and imprisonments? He came as someone who was selected by God, chosen by God for the work of the ministry. This was Paul's assurance. This was his confidence that even when he was being made fun of, even when he street preached in the Agora and in the marketplaces and in the Colosseums, that God had called him to this task, that God was with him. He was selected and chosen for this task. Ephesians 4 reminds us that, that God gives gifted men to the church. This would be a theme of Paul's ministry, not only that he exercised, but in 1 Timothy 4, he reminds Timothy, hey, Timothy, do not neglect the gift that is in you. That gift does not come from you, Timothy. It comes from what God has given to you. Fulfill the work of the ministry that, that God has given to you. Remember, Timothy, that faithful elders have put their hands on you. Go preach confidently as you are selected for this work. The messenger that God chooses. Friends, I want us to remind us of this point. We must do God's work, God's way, for His glory. And when we do, He is in charge of the blessing and He is in charge of the success when it comes to the teaching and preaching of God's Word. Number two, I want us to notice very quickly not only the man that God uses, the messenger that God uses in this type of ministry, but number two, I want us to consider the manner that Paul very carefully describes for us that he did and did not do in preaching and in teaching and in church planning among the church at Corinth. And you say, well, Grant, why are we looking at what Paul did? Because, friends, this is the blueprint. This is the pattern for the church, even for us, even today. Now, Paul here in verses 1 and 2 begins with what is called a negative denial. He's a thorough teacher. Before he begins to explain, here's what we did, remember? Don't depart from this pattern. Here's what we did not do. And in a sense, this is what they are doing. He's reminding them that you did not learn that from me. You did not see that in me. Remember in your mind's eye how I worked among you, how I preached Christ among you, and I did not. So the first thing we see is a negative denial. Paul points out deficiencies that he is not ashamed of in his ministry, things that he left out. And the first thing is the deficiency in his words. Notice verse 1. He says, When I came to you, I did not come 
with excellence of speech or wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. Regarding his words, in other words, Paul was not proud of stuttering or stumbling. Paul was not saying, I, I didn't prepare. Paul is not saying it's okay to just preach off the cuff and to, to not do the work that is required for the work of the ministry. That's not what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is, is that I did not work to come to you through the channels and means that are valued and treasured by the culture. My goal is not to make you feel comfortable or at, at ease when I spoke to you. I did not come with a, with a TED Talk style message that's very short, succinct, and punchy. He says, I did not come resting in my giftings, if you will, of vocabulary. Now, you have to understand the culture and the context. We're not going to go into all of that. But these are all things that if you were anyone, if, if anyone was going to give you an ear, if you were going to have an audience with the Greeks or the Romans, they valued these things. There was no Netflix. There was no sports in the way that we watch sports all the time. To be entertained was to go listen to someone recite a play or recite oratory, recite poetry, to go to the, to the outdoor amphitheater, much like what we have across the street and in the park just down the road would be filled every Friday night or many nights with different types of oratory where the people would say, now that is the standard. Wow. If any brother or sister is in here that follows the Lord Jesus Christ, these people would preach philosophy. If you'll look this way, just continue on. It's no problem. They'll take care of it. Thank you, gentlemen. Paul was not influenced by any of those things. And he's saying, listen, he's saying, I did not come to you in those ways. I know that's jarring, but we'll continue on. And not a problem. And we have a plan in place, and those men are taking care of it. Not a problem. And Paul says, I did not come to entertain you, but I came to preach Christ. So Paul says, I determined not to come to you with fancy words. You could say it in the realm of today by having, in a sense, of someone who talks about cultural issues instead of Christ, which I was trying to do, my friend. The second thing we see is that Paul says in a negative denial, I did not come to you with wisdom. Notice verse 1. He says, I did not come to you with wisdom declaring to you the testimony of our God. In other words, he's saying, I did not come to you with the wisdom of men. But then he shifts to the negative. This is what I did not do. But quickly, here's what I did. Remember, church at Corinth, don't be lulled into this type of, of, of siren song of the culture. You live to please God. You don't live to please men. So what is it that Paul declared? Notice with me, verse 1, the testimony of our God. The testimony of our God. What is the testimony of our God? The testimony of our God is the full counsel of the Word of God. These things are written for our learning and our admonition. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, preach Christ. Preach the Word. What is the Word? The Word is Christ. That's one of His names, Logos. It is the name of Christ. But preach the Word entrusted to us. And Paul says, that is what I did. I did not come with the wisdom of the historian Herodotus, who was the most famous historian in that type of day, culture, in history. He did not come in the realm of Plato and says, hey, listen, Plato is discovering this and this is what we need to follow now. It's not to say he never mentioned Plato or Herodotus or any of those guys. He's simply saying he did not abandon the means of teaching the word of God so that people would say, hey, he's in step. This is what the influencers are doing. He's with it. He's up to date. No, Paul says, 
I declared the testimony of God's word. Number three, we see not only the man and the manner that Paul says, I remember church, I came to you. This is how a church is born. This is how a church is fed. This is how a church grows. But number three, Paul gets very personal here. He doesn't often get like this, but in a sense, he's giving a defense. In verse two, he describes for us his motive for why he did what he did. The motive is that which is unseen. We can't see people's motives. But yet over time, motives can seem to become apparent. Paul here wants us to know from his own lips what his motives were. Notice with me in verse 2 the decision that he makes as he describes his motive. He says, I came to you, I determined, verse 2, I determined not to know anything among you except Christ and him crucified. Paul here says very clearly, if you want to know what my ministry is about, it's Christ, Christ, Christ. In church, lest we ever get tired of hearing it, what is it that we gather to sing about? Almost every song that we sang this morning was about Christ, Christ, Christ. Our hope in Christ, what he's done for us, how he sustains us, and what he is doing. Paul here points them back to what it's all about and to trust in the means of the Spirit of God that God has ordained. To not think that the church and how it worshiped needs to be reinvented, but to continually be declaring, verse 2, Christ and Him crucified. Notice Paul here did not just describe Christ as being a good example to follow, as simply being an ethicist or a miracle worker, but he emphasized the cross ministry of Christ, which happens to be the very realm of the ministry of Christ that most people, when they begin to shift from the gospel, shift from Christ, begin to become ashamed of. Even to the editing of songs, to the lack of, not of what they preach, but not preaching the message of the cross at all. Look at many of the popular preachers that you may hear on the radio today. I mentioned to you just a few days ago, being, being um, landing uh, after 30 hours of travel in Kenya, and the driver turns on the radio who's taking me for a long drive to the airport, and I hear prosperity preaching coming through the radio in Kenya. And for what many of those preachers preach, listen, it's not what they preach, although a lot of times it is, but for the vast majority, it's what they don't preach. They don't preach Christ and Him crucified. Well, what do we mean by that? What do we mean, as Paul says, I sought to know nothing among you but Christ and Him crucified? It's speaking of the work of why Jesus came, why he is establishing his church, calling his church out and building his kingdom. And it's continually to understand the work of Christ, what he's done, the meaning of salvation. It's the preaching of the gospel that says we are sinners. We have violated a holy God. We have violated his law and law and left to ourselves. We are lost and headed for hell. And so that is why we need the message of Christ. Friend, are you a sinner this morning? I have good news for you. That is what is required for salvation. Come to Christ. All of us are sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. And your sin is not something to identify in or to glory in. Your sin is to drive you to Christ, to trust and rest in his finished work. Jesus Christ came to provide salvation for his people. And we look to him, we rest in him. And that that is what Paul is doing. He's he's calling the church to remember what he did 
what Christ has ordained. Number four, very quickly, we see in verses three through five, the power, the might in the ministry of Paul. The might in the ministry of Paul. What is the engine that drives Paul's ministry week after week, day after day? If you look back in Acts chapter 18, the background of Paul planting the church at Corinth is Paul is in bivocational ministry. Paul does not have a plush situation. Paul is not riding on easy street. He is making tents. He's joining with Aquila. And he could have been supported by the believers, but because Paul was so concerned with not giving into the false mantras of many people saying he's, a, he's just in it for money, he's in it for gain, because that was continually said about Paul's ministry, he intentionally, as he went on his missionary journeys planting churches, did not take remuneration from the church as to give no credence to those who would describe his ministry in that way. Here Paul reminds them, and we understand that background is simply this. My desire was to make Christ known among you, even in weakness, verse 3. This is the power behind his ministry. He says this, I was with you in weakness. I was with you in fear and in much trembling. Now, Some of you have no problem standing and preaching a message or speaking in front of people. But this is not simply speaking. To, to preach the word of God is to deal in the otherworldly realm. Heaven and hell are in the balance. But even more than a cushioned environment like this one here, Paul regularly went into public places where there was very real persecution. His back bore witness to it. He knew that if he preached Christ at times, it may result in physical harm to his body. And that's why Paul wants him to know, I'm not a false teacher. How can you know who false teachers are? They don't suffer. There is not persecution among false teachers. Persecution, in one sense, you could say, to the church throughout history, and even today, is a great perjure. It's not the, the, none of us want persecution, but if you're a true Christian, a true child of God, you will never abandon your Lord. You will never turn your back on the gospel. And Paul says, I stood among you. This was my power, the power of God working in and through me. Verse 4, he says, my speech as I preached to you, as I shepherd you and taught you the word of God, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Here, Paul flips as often he does, the argument that people would give about his ministry on their head. They would say, see, the problem with Paul is he doesn't have rhetoric like the great speakers of the day do. And Paul says, you're right. That's not the goal. You see, Paul is not in step with the cultural norms. And Paul would say, you're right. I am so out of step with the cultural norms. But I love you and I have a message from Christ for you. And it's the message of Christ and Him crucified. Again, to answer this question, why, Paul? Why do you do it this way? We close with verse 5. Look with me at verse 5 this morning. Paul is so careful to never draw men to himself. Again and again, he says, it's not about me. We do not preach personality. We do not preach our own name. We're not preaching to build our own platform. The message is Christ. So Paul gives a summary statement here in verse 5 that brings it together. And he says, 
to answer this rhetorical why question. Why, Paul? So that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Brothers and sisters of Christ this morning, I want to remind you, all of you, and me this morning, we are grateful for the teachers and preachers that God has brought into our life that introduced Christ to us, who've grown us in Christ, who've matured us in Christ. But we need to guard our hearts, lest we become too much like the church at Corinth. Well, I'm of Paul. Well, I'm of Cephas. Well, I'm of Apollos. Paul would go on to say, in a, in a strict sense of correction, he said, I am glad I baptized none of you. In the sense of, you cannot add more things to pull me into your boasting and saying, well, I had this privilege from Paul. That was a corrective tone from Paul to give and drive home a very specific, specific message. Why do we have a Christ-centered ministry? Because the goal is not us. The goal is Christ, to lift high the name of Christ so that we can do God's work for His glory, His way. And if in His good pleasure He decides to give us tangible blessing, then all glory be to Christ. If He decides not to, we're not doing it for that. All glory be to Christ. If God decides to pour out revival in our day here in Roan County and upon this church and other like churches, all glory be to Christ. If He decides not to, it's still the same. All glory be to Christ. If God decides to bless our homes and add to in physical and tangible and different ways to our, our, the life and quality of our families, all glory be to Christ. If he decides not to, all glory be to Christ. It's about none of those things. As we think about the ministry here at Grace Church and those that happen to be listening and tuning in today, make no mistake about it, we stand with Paul. We desire a Christ-centered ministry. We value and love all people. We'll value the, the teacher that God has brought to us to teach us God's word here tomorrow through Wednesday. But we remind ourselves as we will look predominantly at false teaching of what it's all about. And it's a Christ-centered ministry. As Paul says, I did not come to you with excellence of speech or wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Christ and him crucified. Friends, do you know him this morning? Do you know this crucified, buried, and resurrected Christ? I hope that you do. Look to Christ and live. If you find that your sins have separated you from his holiness and his righteousness, then look to him, run to him, and live. Have you ever told a lie? Sure you have. Have you ever stolen and taken something that did not belong to you? Sure you have. Friend, that's just two of the, the ten commandments, and already it's enough to send you to hell. Just two of the Ten Commandments. The good news is, is look to Jesus, who came, God sent His Son to live the perfect life for me and for you, the life that we're supposed to live without sin and a perfect moral character that we could never live. C.S. Lewis said it like this, you don't know how bad you are until you try very, very hard to be good. And when you try intentionally very, very hard to be good and never break the law and never break the speed limit and never tell a lie and never... It's then that you begin to become aware of just how bad you are. Look to Jesus. Run to Jesus. He paid the penalty. He lived the life that we're supposed to live, and yet we are incapable of living. He died the death that is my death and your death to die. And he died it in our place. If you will look to him, 
Repent of your sins, confess your sins, and ask him to change your life, to become your Lord and your master. Bow the knee to him, live for him. This is the message of Christ and him crucified. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, we pray that you would take this meager effort to preach it this morning. And Lord, show it is obviously a work of your spirit and your grace. Father, we are people. We are fleshly creatures. We desire to see things. And so often we are enamored with personalities. We find in our hearts being drawn even to godly Christian men, sometimes false teachers that we don't realize are false initially because they're charismatic, they're, they're drawing, they're personable. Father, would you protect us from false teaching? Would you protect our hearts from worshiping men wrongly? Father, would you show us the idols that may be in our life? Would you allow us the grace to repent of them? Father, we would desire to grow in our attention and our love for Christ, as the author of Hebrews tells us to do, to fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, would you give us the gift of repentance where it's needed? Father, afresh and anew, may we give fresh encouragement to those who preach Christ. And Father, may we guard all these things as we seek to honor you. Father, we pray for this gentleman who stood up this morning, who was confused and had issues. Father, we love him, don't know him, but we commit him to you. And we pray, Lord, that he would come to faith in Christ and that your spirit would calm his soul. And we trust him and commit him to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.